what I found is a different way to mix up the incentives uh, to basically take that control structure piece of the marketplace, that noise cancellation, and flip it on its head so that it's on the same side as the producers and consumers. And so it's it's not people versus you know computer augmented people. It's people and computer augmented people and everything else working together to try to figure out how to get through the noise. Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Uh, Today I'm joined by algorithm developer and recreational mathematician and founder at Coordisk. Uh, Welcome to the show, Noah Healy. Thanks for having me here, Paul. Thanks for joining us all the way from Charlottesville, Virginia. So we've got another uh, guest from the States, which is uh, always great. Uh, that's that's great. Yeah, <laughs> I think being in the states is pretty cool. <laughs> Always good to reach across the pond and, and share those great stories and insights that we've got with each other. So, uh, um, what I like to do to start off these podcasts is just get to know you a little bit in terms of your background. You know, what has got you to where you are today? Uh, well, the pretty much the most critical thing was getting out of college in two thousand and needing a job and landing inside the you know internet startup community Uh, and that led to now decades of studying the mathematics of computation and that that's what turned me into the person i am today more or less (laughs) and so what did you do at college uh i uh i studied engineering uh mostly actually i wandered around the engineering school and took interesting looking math classes. Right. Um, my, my pattern was that I took sort of an introductory and intermediate and a graduate level class in pretty much every single department that my engineering school had. Right. So like a, like a 200 and then a 400 and then a 700 class. And then I'd be like, eh, you know, I didn't like that teacher or that wasn't that great whatever. Um, I got what I described as the mad scientist degree. Um, it's an engineering science degree is what it formally is, but your electives uh, describe it. And yep. so my lab electives were robotics and radiation detection. And my science electives were genetics and relativity. Wow. <laughs> so a real mixed bag there. That's why I call it the mad scientist. <laughs> no, I, I can uh, I can certainly attest to, to that. I think there's a different sort of setup um, in the U.S. educational system, certainly in the, the college level and and our university courses and things. You know, I did a a general engineering course myself, and it was you know, but very much prescribed as to what you went to. We haven't got those choices of, of electives quite as uh, to the same extent as you guys. That's actually the way my university works. You're, you're not supposed to do, you're not supposed to be able to do what I did. Um, but uh, I, 
I've never really been one for any convention that isn't forced. And my advisor uh, basically decided that I was smart. I must be making good decisions, which might not have been a great decision on his part, <laughs> uh, frankly, but uh, it's what happened. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, the the ongoing assumption that being smart and making good decisions are, are two things that go hand in hand, eh? Well, that's that's one of the difficulties, actually, with being smart is that, yeah, sure, you do make better decisions on average. Um, but that that's really a double edged sword, because the value of intelligence, you know, much like, say, the value of strength, if, if you've got like, the world's strongest man helping you out, mm. the thing that's useful is that they're stronger than you. So right. they should be picking stuff up and things like that rather than you doing it because it's easier for them. Right. Um, but people get all political. Uh, and so the value of hiring smart people is getting them to make decisions for you, but people quite rightly freak out about having other people make their decisions. <laughs> oh, brilliant. There's a whole science behind it, isn't there, um, from a decision-making perspective, but uh, uh, let's <laughs> maybe that's for another day. <laughs> um, so in terms of what you've done um, and where you're going into now, um, you, we talked uh, before this session and we've you know, we've had a brief conversation about some of the work you're doing. Uh, again, going back to that challenging convention element, tell us a bit more about what you're doing now in terms of challenging the convention of, of the way markets operate. Uh, sure. So uh, again, going back to my, my study of computation, markets are are really the first artificial intelligent machines that human beings ever came across. And we didn't even know that we'd done it until now, centuries later, we, we understand information in physical and logical terms in ways that we didn't have the, the concepts for even in really the fifties. Um, and the markets that we depend on unfortunately are breaking down because what they what they are at core is sort of noise cancellation signal boosters so they they basically work like headphones um they they try to everybody in the world has opinions about what is going on and what should happen in the future um what will actually happen more or less resembles the the median point of those opinions mm. most of the time um but if you just go out and talk to 10 people or 100 people or a thousand people or even a billion people um you're gonna go insane basically um, <laughs> like that's not gonna look like like what's gonna happen uh and so markets moderate that for us but uh markets deal with the information that's coming in and what computers and the internet have done has radically increased the rate at which humanity can produce information mm. uh and markets were sort of a person versus person contest uh and now it's a people versus computers contest and and just like you wouldn't win a lifting contest against a hydraulic ram. We're not going to win a, a BS contest against 
the internet. Right. So uh, what I found is a different way to mix up the incentives uh, to basically take that control structure piece of the marketplace, that noise cancellation, and flip it on its head so that it's on the same side as the producers and consumers. And so it's it's not people versus you know computer augmented people. It's people and computer augmented people and everything else working together to try to figure out how to get through the noise. Right. Oh, some amazing stuff there. And uh, maybe you could delve into that a little bit in terms of some like practical examples that demonstrate this. So we, you talk about particularly the, the speed of information and the volume of information that's out there. It's just getting far too much for any humans to to uh, calculate and, and consume in the uh, in the time frames of decision making, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, so one of my one of my favorite examples is uh, is you know who well for for your purposes um who's the longest serving monarch of england in history hmm. so the queen elizabeth or or yeah. the most significant which 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 and now which monarch has served england for most of history i don't know the answer to that one <laughs> that answer is is king charles the current right. one right and the deal is it's always whoever's in charge right now right is the answer to the second <laughs> question because history is what's written down and yeah. we're writing things down at a hyper exponential rate right there is no exponential curve that we can fit to the rate at which we currently produce information about the world right uh and and so you know i live in a country with two and a half centuries of history, you live in a country with a thousand years of history almost at this point. Um, all of that history is utterly dwarfed by the random scribblings of Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, and so on hmm. over the course of the last like three weeks. Right. So think about your own life and, and wise people that you've encountered. What if everyone on earth was only three weeks old? How badly do you think things would work? Right. <laughs> oh dear. Um, and so when the, the approach that you're working on and the, um, I don't know if you'd call it the solution or the tool, the platform, the marketplace that, that you're looking to, to bring in how does that solve some of those problems how does it uh what does it do to to flip things on its head uh well there's there's i think really two components the first and important one is that it segregates competition um so the existing system is a all against all competition so it would be like if you held the olympics uh but you didn't actually have any events everyone had to enter every single event right. um so it's it's like everything's a decathlon, but it's even worse than that because they also have to swim and shoot and, you know, downhill ski and stuff like that. Right. Not only would probably none of the existing Olympic participants be able to make it into that, that thing, mm. um, the performance in each of the events would be significantly worse because we wouldn't be able to specialize. Right. 
Um, so what the existing system does by making it an all against all is essentially allows specialist traders to effectively beat up uh, farmers, miners, factory owners, and other less specialized people that need these marketplaces to operate their businesses. Um, and that gets into how we do it. What my system does is aggregates these groups and allows the groups to interact with each other at the, at the interest level effectively. Um, and so, well, at the interest level by measuring each individual contribution to the total interest. And so what that means, because I can be like directly measure how useful people's information about the future is, um, that, that means that figuring out how to dribble out what you know, which is currently the best strategy that, that's available, mm. um, turns into the question of how to broadcast what you know and how to minimize your own mistakes. And so we go from a system where you're trying to insert as much noise as possible, you're basically playing poker, mm-hmm. um, into your actions and everyone else on the planet while simultaneously doing that is trying to pull out whatever tease of true information you're accidentally revealing um, to a system where everybody's actually trying to present honestly and fairly what their actually interests are and managing that within the complex of everybody else's interests. Uh, and that that's an enormous noise reducer. Right. And so who wins? Who, who, who gets... Uh in the context of this, who, who is um, getting better performance out of this new system that, that you're developing? Uh, so there's three, well, four, four roles are, are real winners. Um, starting with the operator of the marketplace. Uh, this is, this involves doing considerably less information processing. Um, so they would get to cut their costs by an enormous fraction. Uh, and Whereas in the existing marketplace, they charge a fee, uh, which they keep having to to sort of reduce as it becomes cheaper and cheaper with new technology to operate the marketplace. Um, In this market, what they actually get to do is decide what market overhead is going to turn out to be and how big their slice is going to be. So essentially, they get to decide how big the cake they're going to bake is, and they get to slice the first piece off for themselves. So they can actually create a better product than the kinds of markets that currently exist and take a bigger revenue slice from those new better markets than they're currently getting. So they can, they can drop their costs and raise their revenues at the same time. The second um, bonus is the, expert traders, the informed forecasters is the industry term for these kinds of people, uh, that right now, in addition to doing that, generally they're going to work in the research wing of a, of like a hedge fund or something like that in order to gain access to the capital to actually exploit their, their knowledge and research. 
within this system because the rates of return are much, much higher than the financial systems ever seen before, they can effectively fund their, their businesses out of their own pockets, um, even if they're not really wealthy enough to fully exploit their information right now in an environment where you're getting returns that are maybe three, maybe 30 times as high as Warren Buffett experienced, you're not going to be too poor to fully exploit your own data for very long. Um, the next group that benefits are the producers within the marketplace, uh, because right now there's varying sized sort of middles where the people that are buying, say, steel or wheat spend X amount of dollars and the people that are making steel or wheat earn X minus the difference. Right. When that difference shrinks a lot, um, you don't change the price that people are buying at, you change the price people are selling at. And so uh, their, their returns uh, go up. And because they're in low margin businesses, there's a big magnifying effect of increasing the bottom line. Uh, in my country, uh, wheat runs at about a 14% margin on average. Right. Uh, that's not that weird for farms. You know, farms are going to run sort of 10 to 15% margins. Um, if you're operating at a 14% margin uh, and your total revenue increases by 2%, your profits will increase by seven times that or 14%. Right. If you're operating at a 10% margin and that same 2% happens, your your profits will actually go up by 20% because it'll be a 10x. Right. And so the more marginal the business is, the more magnified the effect of of these kinds of systems are. Right. So if you're if you're a struggling family farm that's operating at like a 5% margin, an extra 2% that's a 40% increase in your, in your actual income. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth group that benefits uh, is the consumers of these products. As, as the producers become wildly more profitable, uh, it becomes attractive to do more production, uh, increasing the, the volume and quality of the product uh, and so that will moderate prices once again and, and increase supply. And so there'll just be more of what we live on in the world. Yeah. So you've got a win-win-win-win situation going on. Uh, well, very fortuitously, yes. Uh, it's actually like I didn't cause that. It, the economy causes that. I've just found the, a way to... Uh, to put those pieces together in kind of a brand new arch that that allows them to lean on each other in a in a much more effective way. Amazing. So, uh, what do we what do we expect to see and sort of when in the future? You know, what, what stage are you at with this now, and and what are you hoping to achieve over the next year, five years, ten years? 
Uh, well, sadly, I'm still fairly early stage, even though I've been working on this for about eight years. I do have a handful of people around the world that are attempting to build marketplaces that incorporate my technology. And I was just talking to somebody yesterday. I might I might be having another of those conversations in, in a month or three. Um, but setting up the Novo marketplaces is... is uh, you know, an expensive and, and difficult process, even without brand new technology as part of the, the mix. So it's it's hard for me to say when it will go off the ground. I've also been fighting with the patent office for much of that time. Uh, and that's now going to court. Uh, they, they have violated their own internal procedures multiple times in order to delay or cancel my patent. And, uh, their current objection uh, is that they won't tell me what their current objection is. So I don't know what's going on with that. Um, There's some code that is, is open source uh, overseas under a creative commons license. Um, Not the, not the full out. I believe there's actually eight different levels of the creative commons license. Uh, And I picked one of the ones that my patent will override inside the United States just so that I can I can offer people that advantage for U.S. based action, right. uh, and so that's that's what I'm looking at. Uh, I have some I have some real solid chances of things uh, getting started this year, and I think over the course of the next five years that goes up. Um, but uh, but it's got to get started. Uh, we have to see how human beings respond to something we've never done before. Uh, and then we have to, you know, grow. So that's, that's the process. Oh, nice. Um, so at this stage uh, in, the, in the pod, I'd usually ask a couple of questions. I'm going to maybe ask them slightly differently here. Um, in terms of, uh, so what I would typically say is, who would you like to help perform uh, with the skill set that you've got? Uh, I guess to be a bit more pointed in this, you know, where would that, which markets would you be targeting and which individuals, uh, you know, or, or group of individuals would you be looking to go out and help certainly in those earlier stages? Is there any target markets or target areas that, that you're looking at? Well, so my, my basic goal uh, has always been to aid in production. Um, I think that if you're not making stuff, then you're sort of screwed. Uh, so, so that's always been kind of, excuse me, my focus. Uh, I wound up in nuclear engineering, mostly because there were some awesome uh, professors there, but also energy production is the engine of human economic activity. And yeah. so that looked like a really great thing. Um, unfortunately, we don't actually use ener- nuclear energy for that, so you know that's not really that, not really something to continue with, for me at any rate. Um, so producers, as a class, are the group that I would most like to help, both with this project and, and other projects I've worked on. In terms of niche, like where it actually starts up, yeah. Wherever it starts up is where I want to start up. <laughs> um, so. The, the markets 
there are some cosmetic and even some slight functional differences in, in various marketplaces. Uh, in my country, dairy is probably one of the most out of, out of band. Um, but whether you're talking about shipping in the North Sea or cotton coming from the Middle East, mm -hmm. there are more similarities between these kinds of markets than there are differences. Right. And we as a whole really only use one system that came out of Renaissance Italy everywhere on the planet right. um, because it's the best one we've had so far. And so I fully expect that as this establishes wherever it establishes and demonstrates the algorithmic excellence that, that the math says that it has, mm. um, that people are gonna you know, look over the shoulders of their neighbors and say, hey, you know, Jack has a corn farm, I have a bean farm. Why did Jack take his entire family to the south of France for six months on a private jet? Mm -hmm. And I'm still scrabbling out, you know, yeah. uh, subsistence over here. Uh, like what happened? Oh, the corn farm had a revolution that meant that everybody's income went up by, you know, 70%. Why can't the bean farm markets have that? Uh, and so, you know, whether it's copper or cotton or corn or, you know, something that doesn't start with a C, wherever it starts, it's going to grow. And right. so that's, that's the goal. Oh, nice. Um, and from your perspective, if you could sit down and, uh, and, and have a coffee, have a meal, or have a chat with anyone who you think could help your game uh, up your performance help your thinking um, who would you want that to be uh well probably inexcusably donald newth um since he actually is alive and and has coffees with people um uh, he's an emeritus professor at uh at stanford um and and pretty much the foremost person in computational math. Uh, another another candidate would be Stephen Wolfram, uh, who is also alive and, and kicking and presumably actually has coffees with people. I think he's in London though. Uh, yeah, my, my kind of sticking to Charlottesville means that I mostly uh, learn from these and other people in the field through books and papers rather than personal chats. Right. Oh. Brilliant. Um, and how do people find out more? You know, where do people find out more about this system? Where do people get in contact with you? Uh, well, the easiest way to contact me is noahphealy at yahoo.com. Um, in terms of learning more about my system, I've got an explainer video that's up on YouTube, uh, with a little blurb that's on my website at cordisc.com. That's C-O-O-R-D-I-S-C. Uh, there's also a white paper available for download um and uh and some people have found that helpful uh you can also take a look at the patent the patent office publishes patents once they start working on them right um there's a lot of legalese uh but there's some stuff in there that's a little bit more straightforward than what's in the white paper right oh nice well i'll make sure that all those uh all those contacts are, are in the show notes and people can 
get the websites and get the connections there to, to reach out to you. So uh, uh, some fascinating stuff. And I mean, I'd love to look back in a couple of years and, and go, uh, I remember I talked to that guy and uh, and he was just, it was all a, you know, not a dream, but it was all in its early stages and look where, where that whole system is now and, uh, and look how it's changed the world. So, uh, you know, maybe you could be part of that journey too, whoever's listening today. So, I certainly hope so. Uh, I think I think the world's in for a lot of change. Uh, I, I'd say that computers are a bigger deal than steam engines. And so I think we historically, we have, you know, pre-agriculture, the agricultural period of sort of the historical period, uh, the industrial revolution. And I would say that uh, the computer revolution, the information age, the internet revolution, actual history uh, as Werner Vinge or Vinge calls it. Um, this would be the true historical age uh, because now we have live 24 seven streaming of people and not just some scribblings that a few people decided to write down. Yeah. Oh, amazing stuff. Well, thanks so much for being on the show and, and fascinating conversation. And uh, I can't wait to see where it goes. So thanks for being on the show, Noah. Thanks for having me here, Paul. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.